is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. We're going to leave a few lines open for those of you who believe Joe Biden's doing a good job. Please call in and tell us how and where. For those of you who believe Joe Biden's doing a good job, crime is through the roof, the border's wide open, criminals are coming into the country, violent criminals, drugs are pouring over the border. People are being released into the country without papers, without vaccinations. In terms of the virus and vaccinations, he's made minimal progress. Those who have made the greatest progress, the governor of Florida and the governor of Texas. Look what he wants to do to the nation's economy and finances. The spending, the borrowing, the redistribution of wealth. He wants to unleash an IRS, which will have twice as much money and twice as many people on the American people to track their checking accounts and their saving accounts. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And um, I'm just curious to know, where has he done a good job? So those of you who support him. And in Virginia, let me just say this. You should vote against Terry McAuliffe to send a message to the whole nation, to send a message to the President of the United States. You should send a message that we will not tolerate what this man is doing to our country, to our economy, our national security, our immigration system, that we will not tolerate. I'm serious. This is much a referendum on Joe Biden as it is on Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin is a moderate Republican. That's what he is. That's okay. Not for the presidency, but in what is a blue state now, Virginia. Because Terry McAuliffe is a radical who's bought and paid for by the teachers' unions, who doesn't believe parents have a voice in their own education of their own flesh and blood. He's going to destroy the economy of Virginia, 
because he wants to give free family leave at the state level, free child care at the state level. Who's going to pay for this? You're going to pay for this. Virginia doesn't have a printing press, unlike the federal government. So this is very important. So we're going to leave a few lines open. If you still support Joe Biden, we want to hear from you. His polls are in the toilet like they should be. But polls are polls. Polls are polls. On, uh, let's see here, September 8th, a month and a half ago or so, I told you this about Joe Manchin. Cut one, go. So you're hearing Manchin out there in cinema? I'm not trusting these two. I think they're trying to diffuse the urgency of the public in addressing this, and all of a sudden, okay, they gave a, you know, they, they met me part of the way. It's only 3.35 trillion. 3.35 trillion. It's not 3.5. I know what that. I got, I got him to cut it. I'm concerned about this. I'm more concerned about Manchin than cinema. I might be right. I might be wrong. But there's a lot of evidence now that Manchin's trying to cut a deal. Obviously, I have no idea how that'll turn out. But he's done this before. He's done this before. He draws a lot of attention to himself. He likes getting attention drawn to himself. Here we have Fox Business, Thomas Barabi, headline, Biden lowers spending bill target to between $1.75 and $1.9 trillion. Tell me, why would the Marxists, let me be more specific, why would the Trotskyites within the Democrat Party, why would they be willing to slash the spending? Well, we've talked about that for a month and a half or two months. Because they intend to enshrine most of their programs making it virtually impossible to undo them in future years. So, another Ponzi scheme. To create these entitlements, which we cannot afford, thereby reducing the amount of money to make you think, oh, they're much cheaper. Now, the reason they use 10 years when they budget is because the Congressional Budget Office, which is an arm of Congress, uses a 10-year budget figure to see how these programs will spread out and spend over a period of time for a projection. Because we know that Congress never passes a program that exists for one year, two years, or three years. They exist for all time. So the the Trotskyites within the Democrat Party, uh, the so-called progressives, they have this all figured out. And they're being encouraged by Biden, and the uh, reprobates, malcontents, and miscreants with whom he surround himself to do exactly that. And, of course, the media will burp it all up. The American people will have no idea what's going on if they don't listen to this program. And everybody will be fine with it. Well, Manchin got them from 3.5, which was really 5.5, to 1.75 or 1.9. The moderates, the centrists, have won! Yay! No, they haven't. No, they haven't. So the Washington Post reported of this potential deal. The president shared his outline with at least some Democrat lawmakers. Now listen, the revised package, as Fox reports, includes many of the original plans, signature proposals, including universal pre-K, 
uh, substantial investment in green energy, that is the degrowth movement, expanded Medicare benefits, but the details are still unknown. Pramilya Jayapal, who's the representative from Seattle, Jayapal, she's the chair uh, birthing person of the so-called Congressional Progressive Caucus, a.k.a. the Congressional Trotskyite Caucus. Along with other lawmakers, they talk to reporters, and they're very pleased. They're smiling. They feel that they're, they're on the move here. This is a farce. This is a ruse. This is fraud. Fraud. If Congress were held to the same standard as any corporation in America these members would wind up going to prison for the way they handle budgets and spending and borrowing and the way they lie to the American people. We the investors, if you will, the stockholders. They just lie and lie and lie, and the media do it for them. The media agree with all this. But that's not all. Progressives see budget deal getting closer after Biden meeting. This is the Hill. Progressive lawmakers, a.k.a. Trotskyites, emerged yesterday from a meeting at the White House saying Biden had taken charge of the negotiations over his sweeping domestic agenda, is offering specific spending recommendations, has boosted the Democrats' hopes of winning an agreement in the coming weeks. To create a sense of urgency, Biden's urging lawmakers to put their differences aside and get a bill to his desk before he and other top Democrats head to Glasgow for an international summit on climate change which begins on October 31. Now, ladies and gentlemen, today is October 20th. He wants to sign the bill on October 11th. Let me ask you a question. How are we going to know what's in the bill? We know generally, but with any specificity. There's a lot of details in these bills. There's a lot of footnotes, very fine font, very fine print. How will we know? When will we know? Do you notice we're not in the equation at all? They never talk about what we, the people, might think of this or that. They just say we support them and that we want Congress to do something. I don't support them and I don't want Congress to do anything. No. The comments came amid a busy day at the White House where Biden was toiling to salvage his economic agenda. The president met separately with a pair of centrist senators Manchin and Cinema. Now, if they vote for this, they're clearly not centrist senators anymore. Who've resisted his economic plans, then hosted the larger group of Trotskyites before rounding out the day with moderates of both chambers. The hands-on approach appeared to bear fruit. Manchin, returning from the White House, announced that he was set to launch focus talks with Bernie Sanders, Cinema, and Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer in an effort to break the months-long impasse that's threatened to tank the massive social benefits package to Marx's package. Manchin, who wants a much smaller spending package than Sanders and the progressives are pushing, predicted the negotiators could finalize their framework deal by the end of the week. If they come up with a framework, I think we're good to go, said Kana, a uh, Trotskyite. The hope is to get it before Glasgow. See, they put these phony deadlines. Now they want to rush through the next 11 days push through what would be the most massive, transformative, transitioning, governing, economic agenda in American history. 
without you having any idea about the specifics, other than some of the leaks that are coming out of the discussions. No opportunity to read this in any serious way. It'll be thousands of pages long. It's an omnibus bill for a reason. To misuse the reconciliation budget process that was never intended for this, rather than presenting it to the American people and getting our input. This is an attempt to impose this on us, we the people. That's what's going on. As fast as they possibly can. As fast as they possibly can. And by lying, by lying, this will change the kind of automobile you can have, the kind of truck you can have. This will change the kind of heating and air system you can have in your homes. This is going to change everything. Everything. You're concerned about supply chains now? You wait until they pass something like this. Supply chains. You're going to have economic dislocation like you never dreamed of, like you never imagined. By people, many of whom have never even worked in the private sector, and hate the private sector, and hate our economic system, and hate the American people, and hate the American system. These are the people who are driving the horse here. A Democrat source familiar with the Trotskyites confirmed that Biden was working off a piece of paper in the Oval Office meeting, rattling off specific dollar amounts for different parts of his Build Back Better package. In other words, Biden was reading what was shoved under his rather substantial nose. For example, Biden said he was eyeing $350 billion for child care and universal pre-kindergarten to the Trotskyites' top priority. Yeah, because they want your children raised by the government. It's not enough that they want to brainwash your children in elementary school, middle school, in high school, they want, they want to control your children right out of the womb, if they can. If they can. Biden also told the Trotskyites that the next time he comes back to them, they will need to trust that he's negotiated as far as he could with Manchin and the moderates. Trotskyites feel even more optimistic about getting to an agreement on a really transform- transformation. See, they're all about transformation, ladies and gentlemen. Not getting the inflation rate down, the price of gasoline down, not improving the supply chain, not improving your, your opportunities, the growth and wealth creation in the economy. So you and your kids and your grandkids have job opportunities. And so, no, no, they want transformation. So for them, it's not about economics, it's about ideology. It's not about economics, it's about power, as I tell you over and over again. During the meetings yesterday, lawmakers said Biden continued to discuss top-line number between 1.9 and 2.2. Jayapal, the head Trotskyite, signaled it was a range that progressives, that is Trotskyites, could live with. Of course it is. Because of what I said. These programs are not going to change. They're just going to cut out the years. They're just going to cut out the years. Family leave. All the rest of it, they'll just price it out for a year or two. See that? See how responsible we are? John Tester, who is detestable, Democrat Montana joined the moderates meeting with Biden. He's surprised at how much movement's been made in recent days. Keep an eye on Manchin. I don't trust that guy. I never have. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. One more from the Hill newspaper. Manchin and Sanders seek deal, Biden agenda. They're seeking to reach a deal and a path forward for President Biden's economic agenda by the end of the week. The negotiation between the Senate's most important centrist, so-called, and there's two, most important, what he's more important than uh, cinema, and leading progressive, he's not a progressive, he's a Marxist, was described as a breakthrough. By one Democratic senator amid stalemated talks over a Senate-passed infrastructure bill and a larger social spending package. Oh, that's a nice way to put it, Alexander Bolton. Oh, it's a social spending package. Oh, we've made breakthroughs, the Democratic senator said, describing a sense of optimism shared by multiple Senate Democrats after a lunch meeting where Manchin said he would work directly with Sanders. I hope I'm wrong about this guy, Manchin, but I think he's uh, selling out now. I hope I'm wrong. Universally, there was a desire to get this done by the end of this week. Manchin and Sanders met for the second time this week, yesterday evening, just off the Senate floor, signed they're working quickly to get a deal as soon as possible. Uh, I think this thing has dragged on for a very long time, and the American people want it to be resolved, Sanders said after the meeting, adding he and Manchin will meet again this week. The American people want this resolved. We don't know what this is, ladies and gentlemen. What is this? Why don't we have it in writing? What is the rush? Why can't we read it and digest it and call our members of Congress? That's the way a republic is supposed to work. They keep talking about how this is transformational. Well, if it's going to be transformational, slow down, boys and girls, and let us have a peek. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. Roy Kahana, Roy Kahana, excuse me, is Democrat Kelvin. He represents Silicon Valley and Big Tech. And he's on CNN today. And again, he, they let the uh, cat out of the bag. Cut four, go. Once we extend this, uh, the Republicans won't be able to take it away. Extend what? 
child tax credit. In other words, that is the foot in the door for universal minimum income. These people are devious, they're diabolical, they're evil. That's what they're doing. And so, they plan to do this, massively expand the welfare state, bring down the price, because they're only going to count a year, two, three tops, and the media will regurgitate it all. That's what they'll do. Now, what about this, this snooping by the IRS? They want to massively increase the number of people who work for the IRS so they can snoop and look at your bank accounts. And not just your bank accounts, ladies and gentlemen. People need to understand what we're talking about here. If you take out a loan, the IRS is going to know how much the loan is. And anything at $10,000 or more now, they're saying they want to know about it. So a bank has to report it, or some other financial institution has to report it. The banks are the most regulated industry, the banks and the airlines, in the United States. And so the banks have become the plaything of the federal government. And so when Pasaki gets up there with her Marxist claptrap and talks about big banks, you know, they cover up for billionaires. Big banks don't cover up for anybody. They can't. It's impossible. Big banks aren't covering up for anybody. You want to go after billionaires and audit billionaires. You don't need to go after people. I'll give you further examples, folks. Let's say they're saying if you have a W-2... And you're just salaried. You have nothing to worry about. Okay, so let's say you're a Teamster worker at the port of uh, Los Angeles. Or a union truck driver. And you feel mollified by this. You're not worried about it anymore. You get a W-2. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Let's say you get a W-2. Whoever you are. Teacher cop, firefighter, whatever. Let's say then that you have a, an old truck or an old automobile and you sell it, let's say, for $14,312. Well, guess what? That's over $10,000. So the IRS is going to want the bank that you put the money in or take the money out. They're going to want to know about that transaction. And they're going to want that income taxed. Are you following me? This is no joke. This is all aimed at you. This isn't aimed at billionaires and multimillionaires. Billionaires and multimillionaires, it's not an issue of $10,000. It's an issue of several million dollars, parking money overseas, you know, that sort of stuff. It's not about, gee, did they move $10,000 around? $10,000 around for a multi-billionaire, they don't even realize it's happening. That's the cost of paper clips. So that's, that's de minimis to extraordinarily wealthy people. So it has nothing to do with them. So they want you to think, if you get a W-2, uh, you're not, you know, in your own mind, you don't make big movements of money, $10,000 here and there, $10,000 payment, that sort of thing. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. 
And the IRS wants to know about it so they can audit you. When they talk about a $7 trillion gap, they're not talking about billionaires. They're talking about 150 million people in the middle class who pay taxes. That's who they're talking about. You. The people with the W-2s. Also, they're talking about small business people. Lots of small business people barely make ends meet. Some of them lose money from one year to the next in hopes that their entrepreneurial endeavors will at some point make money. That's been known to happen many, many times. Those people are going to be on the hook, too, for a lot. Because moving $10,000, getting a big order, or having to pay $10,000 for maybe even leasing a warehouse or something like that, all of that, the IRS will now have information from your financial institution. Now, it's bad enough. Those who actually work and pay taxes have to go through, often with an accountant or a CPA even, to go through that process, sign that document under penalty of perjury, while the same Democrats are saying people are too stupid to have a voter ID. There you are signing under penalty of perjury. You hope you're doing the right thing, but you know if they want to screw you, it's likely that they can. You know, the people who receive all the money, the people to whom the money is redistributed by those of us who work, all of us, all of you who work, they're never under the gun. They're never penalized. They're never a source of concern, even though we have hundreds of billions of dollars out of a multi-trillion dollar budget and multi-multi-trillion dollar ads on now of all kinds of fraud that's taking place. Out of that $1.9 trillion bill the Democrats passed when Biden first came in to fight the virus, of course, $400 billion of it went towards fraud, went missing, $400 billion. You never hear a word about it. You never hear a word about it. It's the people who pay taxes they keep saying are tax cheats. All of you are tax cheats. And so you have to be monitored. You're gonna, we're going to let the IRS get its nose under the tent? What do people think about this? Americans oppose the IRS snooping on their bank accounts. Here's a clip from Americans for Tax Reform. Cut to go. I don't see what business it is of anyone's what I spend out of my bank account and how much of it I spend. The Treasury Department's fiscal year 2022 revenue plan includes this clause, creating a comprehensive financial account information reporting regime for business and personal accounts from financial institutions, including bank, loan, and investment accounts. No, it's not their business. I already tell them enough. I don't feel that's appropriate, that the IRS should be looking into people's bank accounts. They're trying to get in to see every little thing you're doing. It could be a little invasive. It's kind of over the top, and I just think it's an invasion of privacy. Our bank accounts, you would think, would be somewhat private if you're just a regular Joe Schmo making money week to week. Uh, so I, I do not think that uh, the government should be intervening in individual bank accounts. It is personal information. That's why we file taxes, too. You know, they should not have access to all that stuff. I don't think it's right. It, it's not their business what's in my bank account. Mm-hmm. 
Because, folks, if the government has a question about the tax form that you've filed, they're perfectly free to pursue it. But the idea that they should be able to monitor your bank account, your savings account, your checking account, maybe you have a business account, whatever you have, on an hourly and a daily basis, I want you to think about the enormity of that power. I want you to think about the data collection. Just think about the information the IRS wants to gather on you. On you. I heard Pasaki, who really has turned into a, uh, a devious propagandist. She said the top 1% owe 160 some billion dollars in taxes. And I thought to myself, how do you know that? How do you know that? If you know it, why don't you go get it? Does that make sense to you, Rich? Uh, the top 1% owe $165 billion. Well, well, then go get it. But think about what she said. They said there's a $7 trillion gap. If the top 1%, if it's $165 billion to the gap, that means the vast majority of the $7 trillion they intend to get where, Mr. Producer? from we the people. I hope you don't fall for this. Every damn one should get on the phone with their congressman and their senator. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care where you are. There's so much wrong with this bill. It so empowers the central government that won't secure the border, that won't balance the budget, that won't protect us with our military while the Chinese are running, the communist Chinese are running nuts. They can't even fight a war in Afghanistan in the last days. The kind of power this government is going to have. You've seen enormous abuses. You've seen as a result of this virus, the absolute tyranny that government is willing to impose on you. Destroy your lifestyle, destroy your business, destroy your job. This bill will fundamentally, as they say, alter our society and alter the way government conducts itself. The balance that exists between the citizen and the government will be totally destroyed. It'll be totally out of balance. And these people will never be done. Then there'll be another transformative bill, and another one after that, and another one after that. And slowly but surely, and not even so slowly, America's gone. And the younger generation won't give a damn because they've been brainwashed to believe America should be gone. I'll be right back. I'm a crackpot. I think she's a crackpot. Before I pursue that, this is uh, the Washington Examiner. Con Carroll. The Cambridge Dictionary defines insurrection as an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government and take control of their country, usually by violence. 
By that definition, there was no insurrection at the United States Capitol on January 6th, according to the FBI. What? What? Now, this is back August 20, 2021, two months ago to the day. Reuters reports the FBI has found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was a result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election result, according to four current and former law enforcement officials. 90 to 95% of these are one-off cases, said a former senior law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation. Then you have 5% maybe of this, these militia groups that were more closely organized. But there was no grand scheme. And the report was a devastating blow to President Joe Biden and Democrats who have attempted to make the existence of an insurrection on January 6th a key issue in the 2022 midterm elections. Now, let me leave it there. So now we have Liz Cheney last night. Crackpot Liz at the January 6th committee meeting last night where they vote to hold Bannon in contempt of Congress. Here's what she said in part. Cut five, go. This information should not be subject to any privilege at all. And certainly there is no basis for absolute or unqualified privilege for presidential communications. Okay, first of all, she's not on the Supreme Court. And just because she makes a declaration like she's Benito Mussolini doesn't make it so. I never knew her to be a constitutional expert, and she certainly demonstrated that she's not. Go ahead. More important now, there is no conceivably applicable privilege that could shield Mr. Bannon from testimony on all of the many other topics identified in this committee's subpoena. Well, one of the things you can be challenged on is exactly that, that your subpoena is too broad, it doesn't really have a legislative purpose, it has a political purpose, and that you're trying to do the work that the Justice Department has done, and the FBI did conclude that there was no plot, there was no plan, but you're not accepting it. And so you're trying to do the work of the executive branch. That, of course, is a violation of separation of powers. Crackpot. Go ahead. Because he has categorically refused to appear, we have no choice but to seek consequences for Mr. Bannon's failure to comply. Those consequences are not just important for this investigation. They are important for all congressional investigations. No, they're not. No, they're not. How many ex-officials of an administration are subpoenaed like this where they have no uh, requisite connection whatsoever to any events. Go ahead. Mr. Bannon's and Mr. Trump's privilege arguments do, however, appear to reveal one thing. They suggest that President Trump was personally involved in the planning and execution of January 6th. And this committee will get to the bottom of that. She is completely unhinged skating on insane. So the fact that privilege is asserted by Donald Trump, which would of course cover his former staff and others, demonstrates that Donald Trump was personally involved in the planning and execution of January 6th. This woman is really over the edge. This is all personal for her. She's a never-Trumper. She's part of the Bush-Cheney regime. And she simply now is being urged on by, by those forces to do the sort of things that she's doing. Cut six, go. 
The American people deserve to know what happened. They deserve to hear him answer these questions. We know what happened. We know what happened. Go ahead. Mr. Bannon has written to us suggesting that he's relying on the fact that President Trump wishes to assert executive privilege for his communications with Bannon regarding the planning for January 6th. We do not believe any such privilege claims are appropriate. Yeah, well, that'll be litigated. And the courts will decide up or down. Now, it seems to me if Eric Holder wasn't held in criminal contempt and prosecuted for something involving the death of a Border Patrol agent and uh, running guns into Mexico for drug cartels, I mean, I just can't imagine that, that the Department of Justice legitimately could do that to Ben. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 What's particularly obnoxious about Liz Cheney and what she's doing is when her father came under vicious attack, claims were made that he had been lying about weapons of mass production in Iraq and that he just wanted to go to war in Iraq, things of this sort, you recall? Well, I didn't believe those were true, did you? I didn't believe those were true, and most of us, of course, defended him. But what I'm saying here is, should there have been a special committee set up by the Democrats with her father being subpoenaed, with George W. Bush being subpoenaed, with Colin Powell being subpoenaed, and others, and their staffers? They talk about five people who died on January 6th. Five people didn't die on January 6th. One person was killed on January 6th, and that was a young woman who was a veteran and a Trump supporter. She was shot for no apparent reason. And of course, the individual who shot her has been celebrated as so brave and and so forth. He shot her dead in cold blood. Now, others would pass away from various maladies, having nothing to do with any direct nexus to what took place that day. But the media wants you to believe otherwise. They want you to believe otherwise. And yet many Young men and women did die as a result of the war in Iraq. And yet Liz Cheney has really no, no sense of, uh, of perspective. None. 
I mean, I could sit here and argue like a Marxist that what her father did and what George W. Bush did and what Colin Powell did, what all of they did, was a horrendous abuse of power. I won't argue that. But some would. Again, I won't argue that because I don't believe it. But some would and some could. And they could set up a kangaroo court like Liz Cheney's serving on right now and start subpoenaing her father, George W. Bush, and others could have after they left office and argue they don't have an executive privilege. They certainly don't have complete privilege. And this is the problem. When you become unhinged, almost insane about individuals and people, you lack all perspective. They're setting a precedent, ladies and gentlemen, for an incoming administration or an incoming Congress to investigate the prior administration and even prior members of Congress. This is something we used to loathe. This is something we used to denounce. But apparently, not anymore. Apparently, not anymore. We have Benny Thompson, who used to hate the cops, who used to support a group that committed all kinds of horrific acts of violence against cops. Now he claims to be the guy looking out for cops and, of course, democracy. And he was on MSNBC yesterday, and he chairs this committee. Hat tip, real clear politics, cut seven, go. We're making sure that the people who took out the permits for the park, uh, we want to know why would people bring bear spray to a peaceful uh, uh, march? Why would people bring uh, uh, bulletproof vests? uh, Most people didn't bring bear spray or bulletproof vests, did they? Tell me, why would people bring Molotov cocktails? And frozen water bottles and bricks and preposition them to a mostly peaceful protest in Minneapolis, in Seattle, in New York, in Philadelphia, in one city after another. Benny, does that concern you? Go ahead. Uh, to a march, if you didn't come for a purpose other than something peaceful. And so mm-hmm. we want to know who, who financed it. We want to know. Uh, who chartered the they have buses? They no interested in who financed Black Lives Matter, who finances a Tantifa. Who chartered the buses? How hard is that to find? Maybe perfectly innocent people chartered the buses. Now, listen to me a second, folks. This is the kind of investigation that's done up by the Department of Justice, the FBI, and federal prosecutors including a U.S. Attorney's Office of the Public Integrity Section of the Criminal Division of the Justice Department. This isn't the kind of investigation that's done by the House of Representatives. And so this clip from Benny Thompson ought to be used by all of those who are challenging the jurisdiction, the constitutional right of this committee to do what it's doing. Because he's telling you what he's doing. He's telling you what he's doing. They're conducting a criminal, quasi-criminal, slash civil investigation, which they do not have the authority to do. They're they're politicians who are elected to Congress. Go ahead. 
We want to know who chartered the airplanes, uh, and we will track the money. Chartered uh, the have... airplanes? Were there chartered airplanes? There weren't chartered airplanes. What are you talking about, you Nimrod? Chartered airplanes? Go ahead. Who are dedicated to finding out who financed the people who came to Washington uh, and, and did what they did on January 6th. Okay, well, they, I just told you what the FBI put out in August. said there was no plot, there was no plan. Folks, this is just another effort to try and humiliate Donald Trump, to try and tie him in any way they can to what's going on, to try and prevent him from running for president again. That is exactly, that is precisely what is going on here. You've got two never-Trumper Republics and radical kook Democrats. And these two never-Trumper Republics are absolutely unhinged. Like this guy Kingsinger. Cut eight, go. Do you ultimately think you'll be subpoenaing Donald Trump? I don't know. Uh, you know, I think we can get to all the information we need without him. Um, but I think we're certainly willing to do it. That's that's something I want to make clear is he's not off limits. Uh, but I also think, you know, if we can get that information prior to him, and obviously you recognize the second he's subpoenaed, it creates a whole circus. But uh, we'll do what we need to do, period. But we're not going to just call him in front of no, us. These are very righteous people, ladies and gentlemen, self-righteous, I should say. Oh, yes, yes, yes. These are very self-righteous people. They're on a mission. We have to subpoena a former president. That's exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do. They've never said that about any other president. I can't think of one. Can you? No. So right now, they're just sort of uh, flailing around throwing subpoenas out there like popcorn, trying to get as many texts and emails as they possibly can, trying to create as many headlines as they can, stepping all over separation of powers. Lynn Cheney makes a pronouncement and declares that there is no executive privilege. That's what I said, Liz Cheney. Thought I said Lynn? Maybe Lynn too, for all I know. And this is a circus, as they always are. And of course, the media love circuses, because they're clowns too. All this is going on while the communist Chinese have just fired a hypersonic missile, we just learned about it, that can carry nuclear weapons uh, that go so fast we have no defense, that the communist Chinese are taking over space, aiming to knock out our electrical grid, which will kill each and every one of us. While the borders are wide open, and of course Congress takes no responsibility for any of this. None. The American Marxists are running wild, and there's Liz Cheney. Focused. Focused. Like a brain-dead zombie on Donald Trump. Because she wants to prove herself right. That's why. I'll be right back. Mark in. Trump 
organization already under indictment faces new criminal inquiry. Former President Trump's family business already under indictment in Manhattan, which is an outrage, absolute outrage. And we can thank the United States Supreme Court for this, by the way. Uh, is facing criminal investigation by another prosecutor's office that has been uh, begun to examine financial dealings at a golf course the company owns, according to people with knowledge of the matter. So you have these elected Democrat DAs. The Supreme Court opened the door to this, and so this poor man and his businesses are being harassed left and right. Here's a man that comes into office, a multi-billionaire, with God knows how many properties that he has built and improved and and other people he's made relatively wealthy and the thousands and thousands of people who he's employed. And then you have somebody like Barack Obama who comes in office, leaves office. He and his lovely wife, Michelle, become worth hundreds of millions of dollars selling their fame. Al Gore, worth over $150 million, selling his fame. That is their brand. Same with the Clintons. They come into office with nothing, these people. Nothing. And are worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars afterwards, and nobody cares. Donald Trump comes in office worth multi-billions, and he's sued. His properties are attacked. The vows he places on his properties are attacked. The people who work for him are attacked. They're indicted. They're charged. It's not America. What kind of country is this? In recent months, the district attorney's office in suburban Westchester, New York, has subpoenaed records from the Trump National Golf Course, Westchester, in the town of Osening, which sets property taxes on the course, a sprawling private club that is perched on a hill north of New York City and boasts a 101-foot waterfall. The full scope of the investigation could not be determined, but the district attorney, Mimi Roca, Mimi Mimi, 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 Roca appears to be focused at least in part on whether Mr. Trump's company, the Trump Organization, misled local officials about the property's value to reduce its taxes, one of the people said. You know, when it comes to messing a property like this, where there's really not uh, similar properties to measure it against, in some ways, it creates an ambiguity. And so why would there be a criminal investigation? It's not like you're hiding something. You put a value on a property. You put a value on a property. And it's based on some rational decision. And it's not the value the president puts on it. It's the value that the accountants eventually put on it. And they don't really put it on either. They put it on based on the assessed value, what they think the assessed value is. That's what I think. In July, Manhattan, they go on in July. So they're investigating the values that were placed publicly on this property in Westchester. Well, why would you conduct a criminal investigation? It's a sprawling private club perched on a hill north of New York City. Is there another one like it? No. They put a value on it, a rational value on it. And um, you're going to conduct a criminal investigation? It's just more the same, folks. It's more the same. And it's really disgusting to me that this man, his family, the people who work for him, 
It's endless. It, it, it's clearly like it's Stalinism. And that's what the Democrat Party is all about, frankly. That's what the Democrat Party is all about. The vast majority of the people in the jail in Washington, D.C. should not be in jail. They haven't committed heinous crimes. They're not even charged with committing heinous crimes on January 6th, regardless of what the unhinged, nearly insane Liz Cheney has to say or the soon-to-be-out-of-Congress Adam Kingsinger, who's another hothead, has to say. No. The full scope of the investigation could not be determined, but the district attorney appears to be focused on, at least in part, on whether Mr. Trump's company misled local officials about the property's value to reduce its taxes. How would he mislead it? Are they hiding 101 acres, Mr. Producer? It's actually more than 101 acres. It doesn't even say here. That's the waterfall is a 101-foot waterfall. I misread this. So this is a huge property that I'm sure it pays an enormous amount in property taxes. Unlike the people who are on the dole, so many of whom vote Democrat. And um, he's like he's hiding the value of the property. Nothing stops the assessors for Westchester County or the town of Osening. Is that how you pronounce it, Rich? Osening, excuse me. Or the town of Osening from going, physically examining the property and challenging the value that's placed on it. It's not a criminal issue. It's not a criminal issue. But now that the Supreme Court has opened up the door, of course, this is what they do. The Westchester investigation is being led by Elliot Jacobson, who spent more than three decades as a prosecutor in the Southern District. So as a prosecutor for the U.S. attorneys in the Southern District, and now he's working for a DA's office, must be a klutz. Much of it in the White Plains office, where he worked with Ms. Roca investigating white-collar crime. He came out of retirement in February to work with Ms. Roca's Public Corruption Bureau in cold cases before also taking on the Trump golf course investigation. So this guy comes out of retirement to take on the Trump golf course investigation over an assessment issue? Is this a joke? Now, the reporter for this, this local paper, obviously thinks you're stupid. He says, the value of the property determines the amount of taxes the club must pay to local authorities. The higher the value, the the bigger the tax bill. But after the town of Osning estimates the value, the club can challenge the assessment, and that is what it has done. Okay, so what? Every year since 2015, the Trump Club has appealed its tax bill in court, prompting an outcry in the area where hundreds of demonstrators marched in 2017 chanting, pay your share. In seeking to cut his tax bill, the club has argued that the property was worth much less than officials had determined. A common stra- So how is that criminal? Why is there any investigation of this from any district attorney's office? This is disgusting. This is just another repulsive attack on the former president. I'll be right back. Yeah! 
This is the Octagon of Talk Radio, The Mike Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. As I've talked about over the years, I love MMA. I love the UFC. I'm obsessed with it. The way Liz Cheney's obsessed with Donald Trump. Do you think she... No, no. It's not possible, is it, Mr. Producer? You don't think she has a love interest, do you, in him? I mean, it is an obsession, isn't it? Something very weird going on with Liz, I might say. Um, but it's the, the UFC, and I missed it last, last time around, so it kind of makes me a little mad at myself, because I'll look forward to it all day long. I've been watching this stuff since they used to fight in, in these... Uh, they used to fight outside, and they used to have these... Uh, they weren't really stadiums. They used to fence off, you know, the platform they would fight on, Rich. And I used to watch it. I used to watch it like six hours at a time. Uh, it just fascinated me. Now, it, it, you know, some of it, you really cringe from time to time. But I always like to watch people who are doing things that I can't do or won't do. Like when they were building my house. I would break away at lunchtime years ago, like every other day, just to watch because it amazed me. The one thing I don't watch and I don't do, can't do, and won't do, is cook. I'm not talking about basic stuff, but people start cooking, I get out of the kitchen. I don't want anything to do with it. And yet, most of my family loves to cook. Not all, but most. They love to cook. I love to eat. They love to cook, so it works out well. But even mechanics fascinate me. If they let me, I'll watch them as they play around with the engine or do something like that. Fascinates me. Uh, it just does. Or these shows about how entrepreneurs have built these massive companies and so on. I love watching them. Again, because it's something I haven't done. So, uh, you know, even, I'll give you another example. Rush from time to time would have me over. This is many years ago, maybe the late 90s, uh, as he was doing his radio shows, broadcasting. And I'd be watching him do it. And he would say, you're studying me, aren't you, Mark? I said, yes, I am, sir. And he would laugh. He thought it was great while he was puffing on a cigar. And uh, something I always wanted to do, even before I heard Rush or knew Rush or heard Bob Grant, or knew Bob Grant, or one of my favorites in Philadelphia in a local station was Dominic Quinn in Philadelphia many, many years ago. Of course, our buddy Tom Wright in Baltimore, Mr. Producer. Tom Marr. We miss Tom Marr. We miss all these guys very, very much. By the way, Molly Hemingway is scheduled to come on the program in the last hour. Her book, Rigged, is a uh, really, really terrific book, and I can't wait to talk to her about it. All right, let's take some calls here. Joe! 
Speaking of Westchester, New York, Westchester, New York, the great WABC. Joe, go right ahead, please. Well, I'm a real estate broker. I can tell you one thing. You, Mark, me, Mr. Producer, nobody can influence an appraiser today. The banking regulations all changed within the last 15 years. No one can talk to an appraiser. When a property gets appraised, it gets appraised. You can't even challenge the appraisal. So the way I see it, this is all a witch hunt. Well, you can appeal, and there's a process for people to appeal, but you're exactly right. What is the issue here? What is the criminal issue here? There is none. Zero. Zero. There's no criminal issue. It's, it's an appraisal done by an appraiser. If you don't like it, you appeal it. Right. That's that. I mean, I, I mean it's really quite preposterous. All right, Joe, thank you very much. Mr. Uh, Producer, put up the volume just a touch for me, if you would. Let us continue. Kevin, Oxford, Oxford, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Kevin, how are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. I can't believe I'm talking to you right now, bud. Well, thank uh, you. Just, just got to talk to you about the whole tax bill crap going on right now at the IRS. Like, mm-hmm. I got people I work with. I work for, uh, you know, the big chain uh, publics. Yeah, and, uh, which, by the way, work. they are great, great supermarkets. I love Publix. No, when I'm in Florida, no, they are terrific. I mean, these, these, these people that talk about socialism, man, I mean, if, this, if, the, if there ever was a thing, socialism, that worked, they would be Publix. I mean, it's a cell phone part, you know, company and all. But, but besides that, besides that, I mean, I work with people that just are – Die hard, die hard Biden fans, and I just don't understand it. And they're talking about this IRS bill that's like, oh, we got to tax the 1%. But I'm telling them it's it's us. It's us that they're taxing. You know, that's a, it's a, you want to you try a, a garage sale or something like that? That's, exactly. That's exactly. Looking, it's just, just disgusting. People, people are now, more and more people have a mindset. They, they deserve freebies. And that it's only fair that they get freebies from people who make more money than they do, regardless of what those people have done to make more money. Maybe they've come up with certain inventions that are crucial to life or whatever it is. And so what the Democrat Party is all about, again, is is, uh, uh, creating a situation where there's constant conflict. They group people by race, by faith, by gender. They group people by wealth. And uh, they see where most people are, that is, in terms of the population numbers, and uh, they play that game. And so if we could only get the top 1% to pay the fair share, who pay 40% of all the federal income taxes, but if we can get them just to pay their fair share, then you would have free this and free that and free this. And uh, people really do support the legalization of a criminal mind. Because you're stealing from somebody. Just because somebody votes for it doesn't make it legitimate, doesn't make it moral. You're stealing from somebody. So if somebody's making, uh, whatever it is, $10 million, and uh, between the city of New York, as an example, the state of New York, federal taxes, their, uh, their tax rate is over 60%, those people don't care. So what? They can afford it. That's going to be their answer. So what? That's totalitarianism. 
And any government that has the power to do that to a wealthy person has the power to do it to every person. And that's the problem. Kevin, you keep fighting there at Publix. We're all for you. But what part of what, what do you do at Publix? Well, I work for the deli, sir. And uh, uh, one of my favorite places. You... Oh, yeah. And it's a funny thing because I picked up your uh, book, uh, American Marxism. Yeah. And the ladies from the bakery just want to borrow it, but I want to buy them the books. You know, I just. I, let me, let I me ask wanna... you a question. When, do you slice the meats there in the deli, I guess? I do. Yes, sir. Okay. You got to be careful that you don't pull a Rahm Emanuel and cut off one of your middle <laughs> fingers and then pretend it's a kosher hot dog. <laughs> Yes, sir. I'll try. I'll try hard not to. Well, that's to. what he did. He cut off the tip of one of his middle fingers yeah. while he was slicing, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, that's just a little much, don't you think? Yeah, and then I get, you know, I, I get a lot of things. I get called every name in the book and all the rest of it. I worked throughout the pandemic and the rest of it. and it's, People it's, are very impatient, aren't they, at the deli? They're very impatient, very mm-hmm. impatient, especially people that come down here and stuff. I mean, I don't want to give myself away too much, but, you know. I know I, what I, you mean. People who actually come down and have time on their hands, right? <laughs> too much. Way yeah, they have much. time on their hands, and they're, uh, it's like at the bakery. The bakery with the donuts. <laughs> I watch them there fighting over the donuts. I'm like, what? Or the McDonald's. Uh, hey, hey, I want my uh, discount on the, McDo- on, on the coffee. Uh, the coffee. Oh, my God. What the hell am I doing here? (laughs) All right, Kevin. Thank you for your call, my friend. It's true, though. It's true. You know, people don't mind. Their taxes go up. User fees go up. Okay, whatever. We got three more cents on the donut. What? what? Last last week, it was was two for 99. What do you mean it's a dollar ten? I got to walk away. Okay, that's it. I'm out of here. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The ports. Joe Biden made an announcement. He said, and I quote, no, really, he made an announcement. He said that those ports on the West Coast, the port of Long Beach and the port of Los Angeles, are going to be open 24-7. He spoke to the unions. He spoke to the trucking folks. He spoke to the freight folks. And he spoke, of course, to the, to the port folks. And they've been working on this for months, right? That's what he said. Well, this is from PJ Media, Rick Moran. Joe Biden has a problem. Yes, he has more than one problem, but this problem will almost certainly cost him and the Democrats dearly at the polls. Biden promised every good little girl and good little boy that Santa Claus would indeed make it to their houses on Christmas Eve after the Grinch tried to sabotage Santa's mission by causing a huge backlog in American ports, keeping cargo from foreign countries where all the really great presents like smartphones and games apparently originate from being unloaded on American docks. He ordered the Port of Los Angeles to remain open on weekends and add extra hours of operation to its schedule. What a great idea, exclaimed the puppy dogs in the press. Biden saves Christmas, screamed the headlines. Not really, but you know what they wanted to. 
What Pappy Joe didn't mention is that the United States government has zero control over the operations at the port. And that makes Biden's big idea to save the Christmas season for retailers and customers alike nothing more than a PR stunt. As the Washington Examiner reported, the nationwide port schedule app Pier Trucker showed terminals that looked like ghost towns Sunday when barren traffic lanes as additional cargo ships continue to pile up along the coastlines of L.A. and Orange Counties. On Friday, 88 ships were waiting to dock at either Long Beach or Los Angeles harbors. Ten additional ships from the last count on October 13, according to the Marine Exchange of Southern California. It's now over 100. Port officials say they're working with terminal operators to increase the open gate times. But waterfront labor negotiator Jim Tussier, who has worked on behalf of both longshoremen and their unions, says it comes down to money because shipping companies run the terminals. Right. Tessier said the shippers sign contracts that span decades and typically do not open weekends because the additional pay for longshoremen is pricey. Hourly pay is 1.3 times the regular rate at night and one and a half times on weekends, he said. Last weekend, five of LA's six terminals were open on Saturday. Why none were open at night? None. In Long Beach, two terminals were open Saturday during the day, according to the examiner. There's quite literally nothing Biden can do to affect the situation at the ports. He can't get the ships on. Unlo- I, I don't agree. He can use his emergency authority to order them open. And uh, they can use the Defense Production Act. But I get the point. But he's talking about California's draconian emission standards. Uh, I've explained that California has laws that make it nearly impossible for non-union truck operators to operate out of either of those ports. It's a very rare truck operator who's not union who can. Uh, And you can see that uh, between the uh, Port Authority and the Longshoremen Union that uh, they're not doing much activity on the weekend or at night. Almost none at night. So the 24-7 that Biden announced doesn't exist. You didn't read that in the New York Times, did you? You didn't read that in the Washington Post, did you? No, you didn't. This from Reuters. Southern California's L.A. and Long Beach ports handle the most ocean cargo of any ports in the U.S., but are some of the least efficient in the world, according to ranking by the World Bank and IHS market. In a review of 351 container ports around the globe, L.A. was ranked 328 behind Tanzia's uh, port and Alaska's Dutch Harbor. The adjacent port of Long Beach came in even lower, 333 out of 351, behind Turkey's Bay and Kenya's Mombasa, the group said in their inaugural Container Port Performance Index published this May. The total number of ships waiting to unload outside the two adjacent ports, which are now said to be among the two most inefficient in the world, I wonder why. I wonder if it has anything to do with California, the labor situation, I wonder. It hit a new all-time record of 100 on Monday. America's purchases of imported goods have jumped to levels the U.S. supply chain infrastructure can't handle, causing delivery delays and snarls. Well, it could handle it. Handled it in the past. Top port honors went to Japan, Saudi Arabia. Uh, finishing out the top five, uh, Chiwan, part of the Shenzhen's port in the province, in the Kangdong province, South China's port. Taiwan's port, ports in Asia, the Middle East, and North Africa dominated the top 50 spots, while just four U.S. cracks the top, cracked the top 100. 
Philadelphia, 83. Port of Virginia, 85. New York and New Jersey, 89. Charleston, South Carolina, 95. Well, then use them. Biden's pushing port executive, labor union leaders, and major retailers. <coughs> but nothing is happening. Nothing has changed. California won't pull back on its degrowth processes when it comes to the environment. The labor unions won't pull back, and we're stuck. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 I have uh, realized that I have I've not spent enough time discussing a particular subject. You know, it's not by accident that critical race theory and the genderism issue, transgenderism issue to be more specific, appear to have come up at the same time or being pushed by school boards and teacher unions really at the same time. They're simultaneous. Because the genderism movement has grown out of the critical theory and then critical race theory movements. We've talked about these intersectional movements, how they overlay, and in fact how they uh, one supports the other. And as I point out in American Marxism, another of the intersectional movements that have also grown into powerful political forces, involves gender, or what I call critical gender theory. As with other critical theory movements, at the heart of this movement is the claim that the dominant society and culture, which see gender through the lens of biological, empirical, scientific, and normative fact, have been oppressing the LGBTQ plus communities, which see gender as a social construct, that is, where the dominant beliefs are simply the viewpoints and traditions of the privileged status quo at a given point in time. You see what I'm saying? It's like the white dominant society. Well, this is the the binary dominant society when it comes to gender. And they reject it. It's a social construct, they say. Therefore, virtually all traditional gender and sexual binary distinctions and related moral beliefs are considered oppressive, bigoted, and unjust. A distinction has been developed over the last several decades between sex and gender, which historically were interchangeable in understanding and use, but no more. As Scott Yenner, professor of political science at Boise State University, writes, many Americans today have accepted what seemed inconceivable just a generation ago. That gender is artificial. You know, it's in your brain. It's not between your legs. It's socially constructed and can be chosen freely by all individuals. The notion that biological sex can be willfully separated from gender originated in the arguments of influential radical feminist writings from the 1950s through the 1970s. The premises of their theories, in turn, have ushered in the new world of transgenderism, 
Yesterday's shocking theory has become today's accepted norm, with more changes to come. Yet whether this new world will prove to be fit for human flourishing remains to be seen. The professor explains that nowadays human identity is not determined by one's biology, genes, or upbringing. It's a product of how people conceive of themselves. Gender is in the mind. Human beings are, on this view, unsexed persons, caught in a body of one sex or another without any need to follow previous gender scripts. No more vivid examples exist, writes the philosopher Rogers Scruton, of the human determination to triumph over biological destiny in the interests of moral idea. In fact, we are told sex and gender orientation are more complicated than one thought. People often are unaware of the biological complexity of sex and gender, says Dr. Eric Villain, director of the Center for Gender-Based Biology at UCLA, where he studies the genetics of sexual development and sex differences. People tend to define sex in a binary way, either wholly male or wholly female, based on physical appearance, or by which sex chromosomes an individual carries. But while sex and gender may seem dichotomous, they are in reality many, excuse me, there are in reality many intermediates, intermediaries. Academic, corporations, the media, even the House of Representatives are adopting speech codes that eliminate pronoun distinctions between males and females. In the House, he or she would become member, delegate, or resident commissioner, and father and mother would become parent, while brother and sister would be sibling. Yet Nancy Pelosi proudly and often reminds us, as do the media, that she's the first female Speaker of the House. ABC News reports that Facebook not only allows users to select from him, her, or their but also from 58 additional gender options, all of which I will not bother you with. As with critical race theory and LATCRIT, a few hours after his inauguration, Biden signed an executive order reinstating an Obama-era critical gender policy, which states in part all persons should receive equal treatment under the law, no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation. In other words, their identity and what they do with their gender. These principles are reflected in the Constitution, which promises equal protection of the laws. These principles are also enshrined in the nation's anti-discrimination laws, among them Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, he said. But the Civil Rights Act of 1964 says nothing about gender identity or sexual orientation. It prohibits discrimination in public accommodations and federally funded programs and bans employment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Sex, not gender identification. Actual, biological, factual sex. Therefore, it is already a violation of federal law to discriminate based on someone's sex. But that was screwed up by the Supreme Court. Gorsuch in particular, just so you should know. And so Biden was issuing executive orders left and right. Michelle Cretella, MD, an executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, a national organization of pediatricians and other healthcare professionals dedicated to the health and well-being of children, disagrees. She says transgender ideology is not just infecting our laws, it's intruding into the lives of the most innocent among us, children. And with the apparent growing support of the professional medical community, and I would add the teachers' unions and school districts. 
She says today's institutions that promote transition affirmative, excuse me, transition affirmation are pushing children to impersonate the opposite sex, sending many of them down the path of puberty blockers, sterilization, the removal of healthy body parts, and untold psychological damage. Now, what does this have to do with American Marxism, you might ask? First, recall Marx's war on the nuclear family. As described by the widely online library, Marxist feminism is a species of feminist theory and politics that takes its theoretical bearings from Marxism, notably the criticism of capitalism as a set of structures, practices, institutions, incentives, and sensibilities that promote the exploitation of labor, the alienation of human beings, and the debasement of freedom. For Marxist feminists, empowerment and equality for women cannot be achieved within the framework of capitalism. Marxist feminism is reluctant to treat women as a standalone group with similar interests and aspirations. Marxist feminism thus distinguishes itself from other modes of feminist thought and politics by attending critically and systematically to the economic organization of societies, including stratification along the lines of class, by refusing to accord the category of women, quote-unquote, separate and special status without regard to class by its commitment to the overthrow of capitalism and by its allegiance to working class and impoverished women. The International Socialism website explains in part, the development of the forces and relations of production shaped and continue to do so in different ways the impact that biology had on the position of women and the development of women's oppression. This connection between productive forces and family structure is not mechanical. Each new formation builds on what came before and is impacted also by battles between contending classes. In other words, to identify somebody as a woman in a capitalist system, uh, you are therefore giving her a class, an inferior class, when it comes to capitalism. Historical materialism emphasizes the particular historical circumstances in which the oppression of women and later of trans people, emerged and developed. It allows us to look at the interplay between the biological and the social. The point is not to ask why trans people exist, but to defend unconditionally their right to their gender identity. And it goes on. Even if one does not accept the direct link or parallel to classical Marxist historical materialism and class theory, it need not be. The movements are said to be developed from a tailored or tailored after Marxist ideology. That was the basis of Marcuse's adaption. Anyway, we have uh, Molly Hemingway, who I want to bring on, but my point to you is this. It's not by accident that critical race theory and transgenderism as a movement are both being pushed at the identical time in our schools because there's an overlay. There's intersectionality. But most of it comes back to Marx. Most of it comes back to Marx. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The book is rigged. How the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections by Molly Hemingway, who is a superstar, a great journalist does all this research and lays it out in the book. Molly, how are you? I am great. It's great to be here with you. Likewise. Now, tell us, I don't want to just throw how the election was rigged. Hit the, hit the high points on exactly what took place here. Because 
I certainly agree with your premise. People have said it was stolen. People have said it was bought. But a lot of things changed prior to the 2020 election as a result of the 2016 election, didn't they? I like talking about it in terms of rigging because you think about all that needed to take place in order to achieve the outcome that that they wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is about our environment with our tech companies where they suppress information or they elevate information or they deplatform people and part of it is the corrupt media but a lot was about changing all of our election laws to intentionally create a mess of a system where it would be hard to know what was going on hard to track problems uh, expanding the sphere of litigation uh, mark elias is the guy who sort of designed that strategy for the democratic party so i tell his story he's also the guy who ran the russia collusion hoax in 2016 so the same guy messed up the 2016 election and the 2020 election but I also get into how there was a private takeover of government election offices with $419 million in funding from Mark Zuckerberg uh, to embed left-wing activists into our governmental election offices. And there they handled everything from voter registration to ballot design and ballot translation and ballot harvesting and vote counting and all these things that you, you, know, you want to keep away from partisan control, but they weren't in 2020. Now, this is amazing, uh, and you have spent a lot of time looking at this and now reporting it in the book, um, how one billionaire, and, you know, he comes off like a nerd, you know, when he's testifying and all, but he's much more devious and evil, if you ask me, uh, with his censorship and his effort here. How one billionaire can get away with it. Is this, is this legal under federal law or maybe some state laws, or do we know? So that was one of the most interesting things to look into is how was this allowed to happen? Because if everyone, you know, left and right kind of realizes you can't have tech oligarchs come in and run your elections. And he spent as much money as the U.S. government spent on running the elections. And I remember talking to these people in Wisconsin, because they're usually pretty careful about their election laws. I said, how did this happen? And they said, we had no idea it was even legal or possible or, you know, that there would be this loophole that would enable it. They didn't have laws against it because they never in their wildest dreams imagined that there would be this uh, coordinated effort to take over government election offices. And so now they've made it illegal and many states have made it illegal to prevent it from happening in the future. But they just didn't know in 2020. Is this what Joe Biden calls in part the Jim Crow laws to prevent people like Zuckerberg from uh, devouring our election system? (laughs) No, he says that if you have any election security or voter integrity, say you require a voter ID before you vote, that that is racism. And that is a crazy thing to say, but he says it all the time. When, of course, having basic election security is how everyone is enfranchised and how everyone has their vote protected. Can this be viewed as a massive in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign? Has anybody tried to raise that? I think that that's why I think that there will be some interesting litigation that happens as a result of this. When Mark Zuckerberg spent the money, initial claims were that it was nonpartisan and that it wasn't directed in a partisan fashion. But now that all the data are coming out and researchers are showing 
that, in fact, this was a massive in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. They determined in Texas that it resulted in 200,000 additional votes for Biden that wouldn't have been there if they hadn't embedded into the electoral system. And, you know, Texas wasn't even really a swing state. You look at what they did in Philadelphia and Milwaukee and Atlanta and, you know, these types of cities in swing states. It made all the difference in the world. It actually determined the outcome of the election, and it shouldn't have even been allowed. The book is, and it's a fantastic book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. You can get on Amazon.com, any major retailer, but if you want to grab it tonight, I would. Has Zuckerberg been questioned by anybody about this? I know that people are very concerned about it and that uh, that even some of people close to him thought that he made a very bad decision in doing it, but nobody has officially questioned him yet. There were some lawsuits that were kind of er- very early, like before the election, that kind of went nowhere because they thought that they weren't sure if there was going to be such a partisan result. I imagine that the more that comes out, and a lot more is coming out about this, about the role that he played in, in turning elections in swing states, that he will be under a lot more scrutiny. And what's amazing is he did this. He spent half a billion dollars nearly to control the outcome of the election and hand it to the Democrats. And they haven't even thanked him for it. I mean, they're actually going after him themselves. So it was just a very foolish move on his part. It destroyed his reputation in many quarters, and it didn't even placate the left wing that he was trying to placate. He felt that because Donald Trump had been able to circumvent the media by working with social media to be elected in 2016. He felt guilty and responsible, and he and other tech oligarchs publicly talked about how they would never let anything like that happen again. Um, This is a massive messing with our elections that should not be allowed. The power that these people have to control what information people receive, and then even whether they can have a free and fair election and have their local government actually run an election. Talking to Molly Hemingway, the author of a great brand new book. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Rigged How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. And he must have had some Svengalis working for him, figuring all this out. I mean, it's it's not so obvious. I mean, uh, you have to have some pretty sharp people trying to figure out how to how to circumvent the system. Do we is, is this Mark Elias? Do we know other people who may have been involved in this? So Mark Elias ran the effort where he would sue and settle with um, with friendly state officials. He would challenge laws that protected voting, and he would water them down. That was part of it. Um, but also I just think there were – Time magazine said it was a cabal of left-wing people, and I think that's a good way to, to put it. But David Pluff is on the um, is on the Chan Zuckerberg group that, that funded these things, and he was, of course, very close to Obama. I think they had a good strategy. They thought there was this legal loophole. They could claim that these were that they were funding in a bipartisan fashion, and what they meant by that is they would give a Republican county $5,000, and they would give the Democrat county next door literally $10 million. Are you able to hold over after the break? Absolutely. All right. It's Molly Hemingway, author of a great new book, Rigged. How the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. You won't see this on Meet the Press. You won't see it on the Sunday shows. You won't see it on the news shows, but you'll hear about it right here. The book is rigged. I strongly encourage you to go to Amazon and grab a copy. We'll be right back. This 
is the nation's town hall meeting. And you can join in at 877-381-3811. My guest is uh, Molly Hemingway, who's a fantastic writer and uh, appears on Fox. When she appears on Fox, it's like the old E.F. Hutton commercials. Everybody listens. The book is rigged. How the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. And ladies and gentlemen, this is one of these books you need to have. Why? Because it tells you what took place, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. Isn't that right, Molly? We need to make sure this never happens again, and you lay the whole case out. That's what people keep talking about it as if it's something that happened once in the past, and that's all we have to talk about. But I'm mostly interested in it because caring about the integrity of elections is not new. I mean, this is something people have battled over in the country for a long time, but it's really important going forward. Uh, some of what they did to change election laws really degraded the the quality of the election, and you can't have that because it's actually a threat to the republic if both winners and losers can't trust what's going on. You know, in the past, Molly Hemingway, if you had an oligarch like a uh, a Zuckerberg and uh, this individual threw their money around in a significant way to influence the outcome of election. It would be a na- there'd be a national outcry. But oh, the can media you even today, imagine yeah. if, it, if Karl Rove worked with the Kochs to yep. put the entire army of young Republicans into the election system? I happen to think that NPR might have covered it a little bit more. Uh, it would have been outrage. You think about what they did between 2016 and 2020, where the entire allegation of Russia collusion, that was their claim that Trump stole the 2016 election, which lasted for years. Their claim was that because Russians had bought like $100,000 in Facebook ads, some of which benefited Hillary Clinton, some of which benefited Donald Trump, that put our entire country into chaos for years. And it's nothing compared to what we're talking about that actually happened in 2020. Never made sense that the Russians would side with Trump against Hillary. They got everything they wanted from Hillary. Uh, let me but ask they, you this, Molly Hemingway. Any major news outlet interested in your book and the contents of your book, apart from Fox? Uh, no, just Fox thus far. Also New York Post, uh, Daily Mail. But no, I, I, think, I think that they are taking the approach of just ignoring what actually happened. It, the thing is, though, they don't want people to talk about it. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. it's actually one of the reasons why I wrote the book, is I was frustrated that it's like you weren't supposed to talk about what happened in the election, even though it was the weirdest election any of us have ever experienced or anyone in, in memory has experienced. Um, so their approach is just to say nothing and then say that anyone who has a problem with how we ran things is is deranged and needs to be marginalized. But... My book lays out the facts of what actually happened. It's richly, like, detailed and sourced, and so I think they're just probably going to do their best to ignore it. But Americans need to care about it because you can't let the media dictate what you know and what you care about. It's crucially important that the Republicans take the House, isn't it, so they can have some oversight hearings, so they can affect the trajectory of the nation, so they can deal with somebody like Zuckerberg and how he really did abuse the campaign laws and how one billionaire can affect the outcome of an election and so forth. It really is crucial, isn't it? It's for everything. I mean, not just uh, when it comes to election integrity, but you look at all of the results of what, you know, because of 2020, 
Democrats control the White House, the Senate, the House, and you look at what's happening to the country, and there's no oversight of any of it, whether it's, you know, Justice Department out of control or what happened with the election or what happened in Afghanistan or what's happening with the economy. And so I think you see the consequences of not caring enough about how your elections are run. It can really have profound results, and some of them are quite nefarious for the country. And they could care less about what's in your book. That's what's amazing. Here you have this oligarch who runs Facebook, and they don't care. I think they do care. I think they just want to run the operation again. So, you know, the reason why they don't talk about the results of flooding the zone with tens of millions of ballots and lowering the scrutiny of same and having all this chaos and having all of these problems, they like the result. The, The corporate media and other people like what happened. They think it was worth it. For the, to put the country through what they put everybody through, and they want to do it again. They want to do it right now in Virginia and the other places where there are elections this year. They want to do it next year to see if Democrats can keep control of the House, and they want to keep doing it into perpetuity. Facebook is a publicly held company. So people listening to me in the audience here, and I put this at the end of my book, they can show up at shareholder meetings. They can make a fuss. They can make a demand for information if they own you know, a couple of shares of stock and Facebook and so forth. I would encourage them to do that, wouldn't you? I would, and I read American Marxism, and I love that you had actual things that people could do at the end because enough people talk about the problems without giving people ideas on little things or big things that they can do to actually start turning the country around and and dealing with the reality that we have, you know, tens of millions of Americans who do believe in the Constitution, who do want to return the country to a constitutional republic. And that's a lot of power. There just needs to be some more direction about how to apply that power. Well, you're very kind. But this book is very, very important. This book is very important because if we're ever going to be able to get our country back and our election system back, we have to understand what just took place. And it never made any sense to me. You have a man who can barely speak, who barely campaigned, um, and he, and he gets, what did he get, 80 million votes or something like that, which yeah, is really most, shocking. the most popular president in the history of the country, and yet everything that we saw on the campaign was that he wasn't even campaigning. Yes, the media were campaigning for him, but he wasn't. He was unable to draw crowds, but he was able to get more votes than any American in history. He's supposedly the most beloved president in history, uh, and people were probably right to be suspicious about that. But the concern here, and as, and as your, your book makes it abundantly clear to me, the concern here is he might have 37% popularity, but if they do this again, he can win again, regardless exactly right. of his popularity. And a lot of the changes that were put in were put in under the claim that it needed to happen because of COVID. Some states made it just a one-year thing. A lot of people just permanently changed the laws to make a mess of our election system, to create all sorts of fuzziness and ambiguity. I mean, one of the things I get into in the book is how when the laws aren't clear and when the courts don't settle issues that are under dispute, you have one county following the law one way, and you have another county just flouting the law, and you disenfranchise voters in one county relative to the other because one county is actually following the rules on signature verification and you know dating and signing of ballots, and the other county is saying, we don't care, we'll just let this vote. We'll just let this ballot through without going through proper scrutiny. And, of course, these things can continue, and they will continue, and 
people need to do a good job of doing oversight and getting involved now and knowing where they can be involved in their election processes. There are lots of room for volunteers and other people to observe what's going on. So I'm happy that people are more interested in it now than they ever have been. It would have been helpful to have this level of interest a couple of years ago, but there are things that can be done just by getting involved at your local level. Who is Mark Elias? So Mark Elias is this Democratic sort of super lawyer who has had a long history of getting involved in elections. If, if you remember, Al Franken lost his, or initially lost his election to the Senate. Mark Elias came in and managed during a recount to get people to just count ballots that they knew would go for the Democrat as part of the recount effort, but not not um, not the others. And kind of made a name for himself because of his savviness and how he handles aggressively on behalf of Democrat clients. He was with Perkins Coie, the Democratic, he was with Perkins Coie, the Democrat law firm um, that's recently been in the news because one of its partners got indicted as part of the Durham probe into that lie that Donald Trump stole the election. And Mark Elias was the one who funded that operation. He took the money from Hillary Clinton and hired the people who made up that lie that caused so much damage to the country. And uh, he's well-funded, he is well-coordinated with other people, and is someone that you should know. The media claim he's a defender of democracy. He's actually had a lot of problems. He's caused a lot of problems in U.S. elections um, as part of his work on behalf of Democrat clients. That's because the media don't differentiate between the Democrat Party and democracy, you see. So this guy's a hack. They've got tons of dark money that float into that Perkins Coy, and now he set up a new law firm where tons of dark money's flowing in from billionaires and millionaires, where they set up all these front groups. And this guy's a very, very dangerous man, in my view. And they brought hundreds of lawsuits, as you point out, in state after state after state. And I think the uh, RNC and, and the Trump lawyers and so forth were caught flat-footed, right? Well, in, they really did fight a bunch of his efforts, and they even succeeded with a bunch of his efforts. He is so well-funded that even though they were focused on it, to, to some extent at least, he just trounced because of the amount of money he had and his centralized control. One of the things I get into in the book is about how Republicans weren't even really allowed to be involved in Election Day operations until a couple years ago because they were under a consent decree that lasted nearly 40 years. They did, they have become quite litigious in the last couple of years, but they didn't really have that muscle memory or, or that uh, coordination that Elias and other Democrats have had. So they should have done more, but they were aware and they were fighting and winning some of these battles. Now, folks, I don't have enough time to go through the entire book that Molly has written, but you do. I want to strongly encourage you to get it. It's called Rigged, How the Media Big Tech and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. Now, there's no way Katie Carrick should be number five or six on Amazon, and our friend Molly's number 30-something or other. She needs to move all the way to the top, and that's going to mean we all get the book, but even more importantly, we read the book. So we're ready for this next time, because there will be a next time. We, we act like we're going to win the, uh, the midterm elections. Well, if all this is in place, we're not going to win the midterm elections, no matter what happens. I mean, Trump got 75 million votes. So it's very, very important. I want to encourage you to read it, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. I have it on my social sites. You can get it at Amazon.com, any major retail store. Molly, thank you, and thank you for writing such a terrific book. Thank you, and thank you for all you do. All right, you take care of yourself. 
It's really, really a good book, folks. When you go on to Amazon.com, make sure you get your copy of American Marxism, but grab a copy of Molly Hemingway's book, too, Rigged. Just remember, Rigged. And it takes a lot of guts to write a book like that because you come under enormous attack. I'll be right back. in. You know, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who have listened to this show for a period of time, I try to be as generous as I can with really good people, uh, whether it's having people who sub for me and go on to other careers as podcasters or radio hosts, um, or authors who spend a lot of time writing really brilliant books. I can't have everybody on. I've talked about this before. Uh, but I try to do my best, and I do more than most. And so whether we use this platform to allow people to become substitutes and project themselves from there, or we use the platform to support certain authors, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And um, Molly Hemingway's book is fantastic, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. I want to encourage you very strongly. You can go on Amazon. It's on sale. Grab it, and you'll have it delivered tomorrow or the day after. They don't seem to be having a uh, supply chain problem over there. Look, I didn't do justice to part of the book that I started to read to you of American Marxism on genderism. Those of you who have it, I want to encourage you to go to Chapter 4. You can read it for yourself, and I'm sure many of you have. It's a very, very important section of Chapter 4 because people are saying, where did this come from, this transgenderism? All of a sudden it's being pushed, it's in the schools. Well, Obama pushed it, and now Biden's pushing it. And their surrogates in the unions and the educational bureaucrats are pushing. And their surrogates in the media, their fellow Democrats dressed up as journalists but are propagandists, they're pushing it. But you'll want to see the link between the other American Marxist movements and the transgenderism or what I call the uh, critical gender theory movement. Uh, it's much better explained there. Or if you have the uh, audio, you can listen to it as well. Again, I want to strongly encourage as many of you as you can to acquire copies of American Marxism now, while it's 40% off. You can acquire it for the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, any other holiday you might celebrate. Get it now. Uh, That way you'll have it in time. I know it's early, but that's the way it goes. I mean, uh, given what's going on in this country. And while you're on Amazon, again, grab your copy of Rigged by uh, Molly Hemingway. It's an excellent, excellent book. There's a number of great books out there right now. Uh, But this really lays out. Uh, much of what took place in the last election, in my view. And uh, it's very, very well done. Very, very well done. All right, let's see here. Let us go to Chris, Freeport, Ohio, XM Satellite. Chris, go right ahead, please. Hi, Mark. It's a uh, it's an honor to uh, talk to you. Thank you. Um, uh, me and Mr. Call Screener had put our heads together uh, over my initial... Uh, ponderings, but um, for these people that are uh, happy about um, the IRS being able to uh, get into people's bank accounts and Mm -hmm. and see see what transactions has taken place, um, have they they used the common core math to ask why they need 84,000 
Yeah, then why do you need 84,000 agents to go after billionaires? You don't. Right. You know, it's a very dangerous agency to begin with, and you're going to give them more and more power. I mean, you can see what they've done over the Justice Department with their power. Uh, they've abused it left and right. You can see what's happened to the FBI at the highest levels, how they've abused power, and some of our intelligence agencies, again, at the highest levels, how they have abused power. You can see how they're violating our immigration laws. I mean, I just cannot imagine why we would empower the Internal Revenue Service with tens of thousands of new auditors and the ability to spy on our checking and savings accounts and loans that you take and so forth and so on. I don't care what the amount. There's no way the Internal Revenue Service should have that kind of power. Chris, thank you very much. And Carlos in Long Beach, California, I'm with you, brother. You hang in there, Carlos. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I will see you tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you.